Welcome to Love and Power, An Unexpected Gift by author and speaker Jacqueline Palmer. Join us for this Women Inseparable study as we learn what it means to be filled with love and power. Here's Jacqueline. And before we pray, let's open up our word of God. There's power. I truly believe there's power when we open up scripture and go before the throne at the same time. And I pray you've seen that over this last session. Matthew chapter 9. Let me say this. You have three options during our study today. You can open up to Matthew 9. And truly, it's your choice. You can open up to Matthew 9. You can open up to Mark 2. Or you can open up to Luke 5. Make your choice. Like, seriously, maybe team up with a friend next to you. One of you do Matthew 9, the other one do Luke 5. Person behind you do Mark 2. You're going to find the same story in all three of those chapters. So we're going to talk about that story as seen in Scripture. So whatever passage you choose, you say, I don't know what passage to choose. Who should you ask? Ask the Lord. Father, Matthew sees things differently than Mark sees things. Mark sees things differently than Luke sees things. But they all three recorded the same story. Which one does the Lord need you to focus on? Ask the Lord as we pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before the throne with such excitement and such awe that we get to come before the throne with such excitement. Lord God, you're so big and you're so in love with us. Your arms, your room, your space, your care, your faithfulness is open to us always and in every single area of our life. And we come before you as a group of women bowing before you and just, ah, oh, Father God, we love you. We thank you so much for the gift of scripture. We thank you for giving us giving us words that we get to pour our heart into, words that we get to talk to you about, words that we get to be hungry for, to thirst for, to make our very light shine before us through the very words that we get to hold that is your very breath in the very name of Jesus Christ. Father God, we come to your throne in awe today. I pray that you'll be with us as we open up to Matthew 9 or Mark 2, or Luke 5, I pray that you will direct each of us to the passage that you have for us today. I pray that you'll be with my words, Lord God, I've got so much in my heart. I pray that you will silence what I have in my heart and that I will only pour out and speak out what's in your heart for us today. This is my prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Matthew 9 is where I'm going to be. I was 23 years old, graduate from Bible college, and I'm teaching at a school, first grade teacher. And I'm in a um, teach, uh, that's how long it's been since I've been teaching children, (laughs) not a classroom at all. I was with the principal and all the teachers in a room, we were doing a thing. (laughs) Staff meeting, thank you, let's call it that. The principal says to all of the teachers, I'm just simply one of the teachers that is in this room, the principal says to all of us, I want to encourage you to take on a, uh, a challenge. Okay. And he says, read a passage of scripture every day and write a thought about it. Do that throughout the school year. And that would be amazing if we as a staff at the school do that. Like, that's really cool. 
So when I was in, when I was 23 in this September, when the principal says this to me, I was reading that day, Matthew nine, just the passage I was at. So I went home and I thought about what my principal said and the challenge that he gave to our staff body. And I went home and I reread Matthew nine and I opened up a journal and I wrote my thought. You know, you sit there and you think, I got to write like all the right words. And I wrote the verse that stuck on my heart, a question that's later in Matthew 9. And the question was, do you have faith that I can do this? That question stuck in my heart. So I wrote that question down in my journal and I wrote in my journal one and a half sentences. And that was my journal entry. And I'm like, ta-da, I did it. 10 years later, I did Matthew 8. For 10 years, it took me to read my Bible one time through. I had read my Bible through multiple times, but you know how everybody says you have to read your Bible through once a year? One time in my life, I spent 10 years reading my Bible through, cover to cover. Can I encourage you not to put a time limit on what you do in this book? One principal told one student or one teacher one thought. It changed my life. For 10 years... Journal after journal after journal. I have two boxes full of journals. I journaled every single chapter of the Bible over a 10-year period. And some of those chapters I did right away, like Matthew 9. I read it, and I wrote a question, and I wrote a sentence, done. But over a 10-year time period, I noticed that I would get into different chapters, and those chapters would completely boggle my mind. Have you ever done that? Read a chapter and you're like, I have no idea what I just read. So you read it again and you read it again and you notice three days passed and all you've done is read that one passage. There have been times that I would read a chapter in scripture and it would take me weeks before I had something to write in my journal. You look through my journals and there are chapters that have the chapter on top and not one word written anywhere. I still have no idea. One of these decades, maybe I'll go through and do this challenge again. When I finished Matthew 8, I'm on my couch and my Bible's closed and my husband comes home from whatever he was doing. I'm crying on the couch and he goes, why, why are you crying? What's going on? You know, our husbands love when we're crying. And I say, I just finished. I just finished. Now what do I do? Like I was in such a path and such a progress and I was growing so much with my Lord. I just finished 10 years, 10 years with my God going through this book. Now what do I do? You know what my husband said to me? An uneducated woman, he says to me, write a book. <laughs> I just laughed. And that started three and a half years in the book of Matthew. So I went from 10 years, this book, to three and a half years, the book of Matthew. When the Lord says to you, I want you to be right here in this passage of scripture, and I want you to do this process with me, will you obey? It's just me as a sister encouraging you. When the Lord says, this is where I want you to be, don't move. Stay there. It's life-changing. It's life-changing every time. Today, you get a choice to be in Matthew 9, Mark 2, or Luke 5. Take your choice. Open up to where you want to be. We're going to talk about fasting. Specifically, we're going to talk about fasting today. I can't, I can't get over the fire for this passage. Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verse 14 is where I'm going to be. 
Um, if you're in Mark 2, you'll be, I don't know the verse, let's call it about 18. Is somebody in Mark 2? Mark 2, is it starting verse 8? If you're in Mark 2, what is it? 18. So Mark 2, 18. And Luke 5, it's the end of the passage. That's how Luke finishes that chapter. So I don't know. We'll call it 33. Okay, so Luke 5, 33. So wherever you are, listen, listen to the story. Listen to the conversation. Whenever we're in scripture, we always want to know who's talking and who's listening, right? So as we read this, consider who is talking and who is listening. And there's conversations going back and forth and back and forth. Verse 14, it says this. Then the disciples of John, asking your questions, John being John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin. Those followers of John followed John in obedience of John proclaimed Jesus is coming. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. These disciples that followed John were also followers of Jesus, but they learned of Jesus through John. Does that make sense? So they're not putting their faith in John, but they're putting their faith in Jesus under John's teaching and John's leadership. So they're known as disciples of John. So the disciples of John came to him, him being our Jesus. The disciples of John came to Jesus and said this question. The question that these disciples, these followers of Jesus under the training of John, asked Jesus this question. They said, why, why do we, as the disciples of John and the Pharisees under the law of God, why do we fast? But your disciples... Do not fast. It's a good question. Whenever you find a question in scripture, will you always pause and answer it? And this is why sometimes some passages are going to take you a very long time to get through because there are questions in this book that it takes more than head knowledge. It takes more than finish, finish the sentence for God so loved the world. Some of the questions that we find in scripture really takes a heart to answer those questions. This is one of them. This is a good question to ponder, to process. These men are saying, Jesus, John taught us to fast. And under John's teaching, your very cousin, under John's teaching, we fast according to the Old Testament. And the Pharisees, they fast all the time. We know when they're fasting. They show us all the time when they're fasting. If it's right for the Pharisees to fast according to the Old Testament, and it's right for us to fast according to John's teaching on the Old Testament, why, why aren't you teaching your disciples to fast? Good question. I get to talk to women often, and I ask often when the prayer request comes, prayer request comes, prayer request comes, and my response always is, do you fast? And like, it's a shocking question. Have you fasted? Have you taken that to the Lord through prayer and fasting? And it's a shocking jolt response. I asked a dear, dear woman on Tuesday um, who has got saved when she was a teenager. She's in almost 90 now. I asked her, did you root for her? <laughs> I asked her the other day if um, what her fasting life looks like because it came up in our conversation. And she shook her head. She goes, oh, I have one, I fasted one time with my church. We did a 24 hour fast. The, it's too much. That's too hard. Do you know how normal that response is? The question is so normal. We hear fasting and we like instantly like hit a wall with it. 
It's, it's too much for our brain. It's too much for our body. It's too much for our stomach. It's too much. Like we just, we just instantly, we hear the word and we put our, our arm up. It's because we're focused on the Old Testament. We hear fasting and we think Daniel. We hear fasting and we think of Elijah. We hear fasting and we think of Old Testament. We hear fasting and we think of rules. We hear fasting and we think of bad experiences. We hear fasting and we think of failed responses. We hear fasting and we think medical. We hear fasting and we hear intermittent. We hear fasting and all these things come at us. When we hear fasting, what we should be hearing is the very name of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Every single time you hear the word fasting, your instant response ought to be the very name of Jesus Christ. And that is the answer to Jesus's question. That's what Jesus is going to say. The Pharisees fasted and their fasting had nothing to do with Jesus. Their fasting had everything to do with the Old Testament law. The disciples of John fasted and it had to do with the Old Testament law. Jesus says the New Testament, my disciples, they don't need a fast because they're not under the Old Testament law. Did you hear what I said in Matthew 5? Jesus is asking, except that he didn't reference Matthew 5. He referenced the Sermon on the Mount in his own terms. He says, do you remember what I said in Matthew 5? You knew that this was the old law. Here's the new law. Matthew 6, you knew this is the old law. Here's the new law. Matthew 7, this is what you know. Here's what you need to know. And in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7, Jesus turns everything that we know and turns it right side up and says, now go again. Start over, learn new, be new, shine new, love new, everything new. You say, but I knew this. This is what I knew. This is what I did. This is who I was. Jesus says, good. Huh? It's a new day. Start over. Retrain your brain in every single area of your life. I love that he does not say right now. Right now, retrain all the things right now. Grace, mercy, new every day. And we're so thankful for that. Verse 14, here's the question. Here's the conversation. Then the disciples of John came to Jesus and said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? It's a great question. Great question again, pausing. If you're in the book of Luke, you're going to see that Jesus spoke to them in a parable. We've spent a lot of time in Matthew 13. We've seen a lot of parables and we've been praying and spending a lot of time and fasting over our parables with Jesus. This is another parable. If the Lord, if the Holy Spirit pulls you into conversation with God, fasting over this question, will you follow the Holy Spirit and fasting over this question? In this parable, Jesus starts the statement and talks to the disciples of John. He's talking to people that know the old way and is learning the new way and is learning and asking questions. And as we learn and ask questions, we move forward and we go back and we move forward and we go back and we move forward and we mess up and we fall and we go forward. Learning is not easy. What have you ever learned that was easy? Anything? I haven't learned anything that was easy. Jesus says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The answer is no. The answer is no. You don't miss somebody if they're right in front of you. You don't mourn the loss of your love when they're right in front of you. That's what he's saying. 
When there's a bride and a bridegroom standing side by side, there's not a mourning process going on. The woman's not wearing black, hopefully. <laughs> See that? <laughs> Some of us have had our thoughts. There's love and there's acceptance and there's relationship and it's the bride and it's the bridegroom and it's passion and it's presence and it's beautiful. Jesus says it's not until the bridegroom leaves that the bride is overcome. Overcome and there's some of us women that know the depth of that pain. When the bridegroom is gone, it's when the bride mourns. Jesus says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days, catch this, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then, and then they will fast. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He says, the days will come. My question, here's questions that I ask that you ponder with the Lord. The days will come. The question is, what are those days? Those days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. Who is the bridegroom that Jesus is speaking of in this parable? This is a question to process with your Lord. Those days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. Where is our bridegroom going to go as what the disciples want to know. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. From who? From the ones that want them, the bridegroom to always stay with them. The sorrow that comes in this sentence to those that are hearing it for the very first time. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then, and then when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then at that moment, they will fast. Why? Why? This brings me to tears. Why are the disciples going to fast the moment the bridegroom is taken away? Because they miss him so much. Why, sweet friend, do you fast? Why do you fast? The answer, the answer is Jesus. You say, I miss him. I need him. I love him so much. I love him so much. I need, I need my Jesus. That's why we fast. We don't fast because we're Pharisees. Lord have mercy when people show up and they shine off their fasting. Go ahead, go do your thing. Go do your thing. Enjoy. I'm going to be with my Lord. And it's not a judgment. It's not a comparison. I pray it doesn't come off as a judgment and a comparison. But if somebody... If somebody ever comes up to me and it was like, I can tell by the way you're wearing your makeup and the way you're wearing your clothes that you're in the time of fasting. Be like, okay, I need to go wash my face and go brush my hair. <laughs> Something isn't right. Nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's you and Jesus. And you go through your day and there are times that you'll go through a long period. Sometimes our seasons in life make us... <laughs> Make us shake just a little bit because life is life is life. And there are some seasons in our life that we're going to find ourselves two or three or four or whatever days, you and your Jesus. And it's you and your Jesus and nobody knows, but it's you and your Jesus. And then there's, there's normal days. There's normal days where you wake up on a Tuesday and you're doing your life. And at that very moment, you're thinking about Jesus and a scripture comes to your mind. The scripture comes to your mind and you can't stop thinking about that scripture. And you're like, why am I thinking about this scripture? And at the same time, you get hungry. And at that very moment, you're thinking, my body says I'm hungry, but I can't stop thinking about this scripture. So instead of feeding my, my body with something more to eat, because I'm not going to starve, huh? 
think I'll be okay instead of hungering after what's in that pantry or what's in your fridge or what's in your bread box or whatever your wherever you get your food you go to the Lord and you say I can't stop thinking about this verse and I know the fact that a verse that is on my head and a verse is in my heart, it has to come from you. And you're calling me to spend time with you. And I love you. And I want to be with you. And I'm asking if we could talk about this verse. Help me to listen. And you hunger for that passage. And you thirst for that passage. And you fall in love with that passage. And you look back at Matthew 9 and you say, I remember when I was in Matthew 9. I have a memory with that passage. That passage changed my life. Why? Because you put a pause on your life and you hungered for it and it was about you and it was about Jesus. That's love. But more than it's love, it's power. Look at Jesus' parable. Look at this parable. Again, in Matthew 9, Mark 2, Luke 5, find your place. Jesus says these words, Can the wedding guests mourn? As long as the bridegroom is with them, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then, then they will fast and you feel that love just seep throughout our soul. And Jesus continues with this parable and he says these words, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Pharisees are listening to Jesus say this at this very moment. Always know where you are. Always know where you are when Jesus is speaking. Pharisees are listening to this. Jesus says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Are you visualizing this? The details of the patch and the details of that old garment, that favored garment with that piece of newness added to it. The damage that happens to that patch and the damage that happens to that garment. Do you see the hole and the worst case that it's in? Do you visualize what Jesus is saying? Verse 17, it says this. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. There are disciples of John that are listening to Jesus tell this parable. Know where you are in this story. There are people that are new that are following after John as John is saying this, trust, trust this man. I am dying for this man. John, John was beheaded for his love and his faith in Jesus Christ. The disciples of John were following John's passion and John's love and John's willingness to learn and follow after the new way and the new truth and the new life that is called Jesus Christ. These disciples are learning something new. And to learn, they had to ask, they had to ask the real questions. And as they asked the real questions, they had to be willing to hear and receive the new answers. And I'm telling you right now, the new answers in Jesus are night and day than the answers of the Old Testament every time. Jesus is saying to the disciples of John and to the Pharisees that are over listening and to his disciples that were listening, he says, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. Do you see this? Visualize this. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst. Can you visualize this? You've got new going into old. And when the new goes into the old, the skin, the skin bursts and the wine is spilled. 
There's no controlling new and old. The skins are completely destroyed. Jesus says, but new wine is put into fresh wine skins. And so both are preserved. Jesus is saying, when you put something new, when you put the name of Jesus Christ, when you put my way, my truth, my life into what is old, both are going to completely explode. The old cannot handle the power of the new. Do you see the beauty of that sentence? You say, but I've always been religious. I've always gone to church. I've always known God. Okay, where's Jesus in all of those sentences? You have to, you have to, you have to fall in love with Jesus Christ. It starts with love every time. And when you fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and you fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, because you know that your Jesus has forgiven you of your sins. He died on that cross. Oh, how Jesus died on that cross for your sins. He was buried with your sin on him a couple thousand years ago. You say, but I want, I have a habit of pulling my sin back. No, you don't. You can't. You physically cannot do that. You know why? Because we're 2,000 years later. Jesus took your sin, put it on him in a different time zone, in a different country, in a different day. That's how far your sin is from you. Scripture words that is your sin is as far as the east is from the west. Do you see the visual of that? That's how far Jesus took your sin. He said, you are forgiven. You are forgiven so deeply, so purely, so intently that you can't go time travel to it. You can't even get to it. You think you want to. Your flesh thinks it wants it. It doesn't. It's gone. You can't access it. Jesus says, I have forgiven you of your sins. And let me show you how much I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to die for your sin. I'm going to bury it and I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to silence it. I'm going to rise above it. And I'm going to show you how you can do that too. Here's my new life. And here's the very spirit of God. And you learn this for the very first time. And I pray we never forget that time you learn that for the very first time. The very first time you find, find yourself learning that Jesus died on the cross. And you're like, oh, I remember learning that. And Jesus was buried. Oh, it breaks my heart that Jesus was buried. But if he wasn't buried with my sin, I would just be religious. And you sit there and you think Jesus rose again. Jesus rose again, free from my sin, free, free from all that shame, all that past. I'm free from it. My Jesus Christ is alive. My Jesus is alive and it overwhelms your soul, whether it's the very first time, whether you're receiving Jesus as your savior today, or whether you receive Jesus as your savior decades ago, you can't shake it. You can't get over it because your Jesus says to you every minute, every moment of your life, I love you. How do you get tired of that? How do you get tired of that? We have our husbands that come up to us with that look in their face and they say, I love you. You can't get tired of that. You have your baby boy come up to you and grab your face and say, listen, mama, listen, listen. <laughs> and he says, I love you. How do you get tired of that? You get in the presence of your girlfriends and your girlfriends just giggle when they see you and oh, I just love you so much. You can't get tired of that. We love being told that we're loved. We long for that, to be told that we're loved. Your Jesus showed you through his body, through his very life, how much he loves you. Do you know that Jesus loves you? Oh, don't ever get over that. 
Don't ever get over that. Jesus says, when a person loves me because I love them, there's power. It starts with love and then they learn, they learn, they learn the new, they learn the new way, the new truth, the new life. They learn the new wine. And there's some, there's some that say, I'm going to fast and they have no idea how to love Jesus Christ. And they try to put on the new fast and it all goes bad. It all goes bad. Well, I fasted about this item and it didn't happen. And I tried to talk to God about this situation and God failed me. You know why? Because without love, you tried power and you tried to put the new into the old and you exploded it all. You aren't, you aren't in love enough to handle the power of God. We're asking God, God, I want to learn your power. I want to feel your power. I want to be your power. I want to fast with you over your word for my life so I can grow in you. And that power, sweet friend, is going to overwhelm you and shine in you and explode in such a beautiful way because you're in love with him. And that is the only single way you can feel the love and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's fasting. That's fasting. And we hear that and I pray no more. We ask in the questions, how do I? How do I? The answer is I don't know. I can tell you all day long how I fast. I can and I will. If you are interested and you want to know, ask me and I will tell you. I don't know if it will help you. I don't know. Do you know Paul doesn't tell us in the New Testament? how he did the book of Acts. You read through the book of Acts and you see power, don't you? You read through the book of Acts and you see love, don't you? And you're like, oh, I want that. I want that type of life. I want my life to be the book of Acts and today. And Paul never says, so I stopped and fasted. And then I had this discussion with this king. I stopped and I fasted. And when I fasted, I did it this way for this long without this thing. And I, this is what I did. He doesn't say any of that. He just does it. It's his relationship with his God through the resurrection of his son with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how Acts happens. That's what Paul did. Paul doesn't tell us what his fasting life looked like. Wouldn't you love to know? Do you know you do know what his fasting life looks like? It's called the book of Acts. You want to be a modern day Bible example? Fall in love with your Jesus. Fall in love with your Jesus and open up this book before your throne <laughs> and get ready. Behold his power. There are no techniques in fasting. If there's anything I can repeat until my dying breath, there are no techniques in fasting. More than that, my dying breath, I pray, is that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried and rose again for your sins. And if you put your faith in him today, you will be saved. That's my dying breath. But Christian sister, there's no technique in fasting. Erase everything you think you want to know about fasting and go before the throne and hunger, hunger for the new wine. Don't you dare do it without love. Don't you dare do it without love. There is power there. Jesus gives one warning, and I'm going to um, close with that. Matthew 16. Matthew 16. There's one passage of scripture that starts in verse 5. 
with all this discussion of prayer and scripture and fasting, all this discussion of love and power, all this discussion of you and your God, you and your Jesus, you and the Holy Spirit of God, all of the pieces that you have learned over this study, and we're not done. We've got one more week next week, but all that you have learned, all you've evaluated, all that you've seen over this whole study of love and power, look at what Jesus is saying, because Jesus is saying to us the same thing he was trying to teach his disciples who are learning something new. The disciples had to learn what life looked like as a follower of Jesus. They had to learn that. You have to learn what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You have to learn that. The disciples, after Jesus rose again, had to learn what it looked like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They had to learn that. It's not something we wake up and know how to do. When we receive Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit is in us, yes. But what does that look like? How do we do that? You have to learn that. Like, I don't know if I'm good at it. Well, learn. Practice. The disciples had to learn how to be humans filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you even grasp that? I hope you can because that's exactly who you are. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. Learning, learning every day, every moment of your life how to live full of the Holy Spirit. It's a learning process. It's a learning process. We will never stop learning until the day we get to stand before our Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll never stop learning. Jesus says in verse 5, listen to scripture, and I pray, Holy Father, that you'll speak to our hearts what we need from your words. Verse 5, he says, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, oh, you, oh, you of little faith. My prayer is that you'll finish this passage and watch that, that warning that Jesus is giving his disciples and giving to you and giving to me. Jesus says, you're looking at it wrong. You looked at the feeding of the 5,000 wrong. You looked at the feeding of the 4,000 wrong. You're looking with little faith. And we talked about the difference of little faith a couple of weeks ago, did we not? Little faith is looking at the eternal. All you're seeing, all you're seeing are those five loaves and those seven baskets. All you're seeing are those seven loaves and the, the 12 baskets. All you're seeing is the mathematics that's sitting in front of you. That's little faith. There is so much more. There is so much more, and that's the grain, the grain of a mustard seed that's planted, planted within our very soul in love of your Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that, that is what your fasting life looks like. That's what your fasting life looks like. Heavenly Father, oh Lord God, we fall before your throne, quiet and still, with full humility, we come before your throne. We don't know why you've forgiven of our sins. And at times we don't know how to live as if we're forgiven of our sins. But God, you've forgiven us of our sins. And you've given us your spirit to learn how to live in your freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from law, freedom from obligations, freedom from techniques, freedom to just, just just be in love with you. Father God, may your spirit speak to our souls according to your scripture. 
maybe forever and always hunger, hunger for you, Jesus. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and thank you for all these things. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more Women Inseparable studies, check out our website at womeninseparable.com. Send your questions to womeninseparable at gmail.com.